The Shaggy Jenkins Show. We have to make Russia great again. On the Pacifica Radio Network. It's the Shaggy Chicken Show on the Pacifico Radio Network. Welcome to it. Trust me, it's been a long day. Hey, coming up on, to show, on the show today, we'll talk histories, mysteries, uh, well, what happens behind closed doors, and well, maybe a couple of more things about immigration, the state of Texas opening up their legislator, and the year that so far has seen no government working. Ooh, okay, partially. Uh, before we get to all of that, my name is Shaggy Jenkins, critical thinker, problem solver, guy just left a normal insane and sometimes found in my right mind at shaggyjenkins.com or wherever fine social media is served at Shaggy Live. This guy can be found somewhere deep in the heart of Texas. <sighs> Probably not chanting, remember the Alamo. But this week... Hmm, starting it off with a little bit of history, please welcome a former politician, current instructor, and all-around swell guy, Drew Landry. Hey, Shaggy. It's good to be here. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's it's, it's always great to be back. Um, this is the thing. Before we get into today's show, yesterday, 100 years ago, was an important anniversary as far as the highest office in the United States. What was that, Drew? It was the uh, the 100th anniversary of the death of our 26th president, Theodore Teddy Roosevelt. And very important figure in 20th century politics and New York politics and just, well, American history. Yeah. Now, let's keep in mind that this is a guy that was told he was asthmatic as a kid and decided, nah, screw that. I'm going to beat asthma's ass and did. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's, he's, you know, there's just so much. The, the determination, so much energy, so much, you know, very interesting stuff about this guy. He died at the age of 60. So, I mean, this is a guy who, you know, was our youngest president to ever take office. He was 42 whenever he he, he took the oath of office in, ni- in 1901. So, I mean, this is just an interesting fella, you know, through and through. Oh, yeah. I mean, look, he was so interesting that his vice president, Thomas R. Marshall, said... Uh, when it came to the event of Roosevelt's death, death had to take Teddy sleeping. For if Roosevelt had been awake, surely there would have been a fight. <laughs> that is so accurate. That is so true. <laughs> uh, yeah, because when it comes to Theodore Roosevelt, he loved two things. Kicking ass and wide open spaces. And, and that's kind of where I want to start our little, our, our little comparison from history. To the modern world, because, Drew, uh, ever since Donald Trump threw his, and I'm going to start calling them this, his temper trumptums, um, over this southern border wall, which we'll get into a sec while it's kind of important to guys like you, not so much to guys like me, because we're thinking on an island, you're going to build a wall? Okay. (laughs) Where? Uh, can you build you it between? Want a wall around the island so people can't come in, <laughs> right? <laughs> Tension, howlers, go home. Okay, no. yeah. <laughs> that's, that only makes sense, by the way, if you've ever been to Hawaii, you'll understand what howly is and all that. Okay, but uh, moving on, uh, Theodore Roosevelt loved wide open spaces. He was a uh, by. I guess you could say hobby, a gamesman, traveled all over the world, met interesting creatures, and then shot them in the head because 
That's what you do when you're a guy that ran under his own party after the political party he was with thought he was too extreme. Yeesh. But Drew, Theodore Roosevelt created something that, in the hearts of one Leslie Nope, somewhere in Pawnee, Indiana, is real near and dear. What is the one system that Theodore Roosevelt created that we kind of have to worry about now in the shutdown? Yeah, you know, you know, President Roosevelt, you know, before he became president, was a big admirer of the national parks and of and of you know pristine areas, and so he signed into law the Antiquities Act that made it available for the president to really just protect these pristine areas. And, and whenever he was a younger guy, he went out on these travels into the western parts and, and into the mountain western parts and just was just stunned by them and said, this has to be here for our future. Mm-hmm. And so uh, in his legacy, we have the national parks. We have a lot of things really to, uh, to credit to him, but that is one of the biggest things around, no question. Oh, well, I know. And a lot of people are like, you're not going to talk about the Roosevelt do- Doctrine, the, the walk softly and carry a big stick, the, the whole <laughs> impetus for how the United States became a foreign policing power in the world. Yeah, that was all Theodore Roosevelt. Thing is, though, is when it came to national parks, he had a very, very soft spot for untouched land. And very much so. And I, I can't, this is the thing I'm going to bring up. Does Donald Trump also have a thing for untouched land? Because now those park rangers aren't getting paid and they're not doing any touching of our national parks. Well, I think <laughs> I think if anything is untouched by the president, he wants to later touch it. Um, that's kind of a mean thing to say. I don't know. But anyway. Hey, hey, uh, hey, hey, hey. Leave Michael <laughs> Cohen out of this because he's not around to pay you off. No, <laughs> no, he's not. So uh, anyway, uh, I kind of wish he was. He could pay me off. But, anyway, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, yeah, look, he. Uh, a lot of these workers, you know, whether they're federal workers, whether they are you know, anything to do with the federal government at this moment, feel like that they are pawns in this game and ship between he and Congress, and dealing with the, uh, this wall that Betty wants on along the southern border of the U- United States. So, you know, he's made a, a clear stand in the ground. He's made his, his line, his red line. I want the wall. I want it now. And uh, we're not going to open up the government until I get $5 billion for this wall. And that's how, you know, that right there is yeah. how he's be, being portrayed. There are others who will say, look, at least he's standing up. At, at least he's, he, he's made a line. He said, this is what I want. Uh, if I don't get any, anything like it, we're not, you know, government is just going to be shut down. And he's even said this could go on for months. This could go on for years. Um, and that's gotten a lot of federal workers very, very concerned. And I don't blame them. They're rather nervous. Oh. And if you want to take a vacation and go to either the Smithsonian or go to a national park, there are many in this country, uh, you know, more often than not, they'll be shut down and you won't be able to really enter them. Yeah, and it's very interesting that you said more often than not, because, look, in a state like Hawaii, where our national parks are literally some of the most beautiful places in the world, (gasps) you're welcome, world. Um, One of the things that, that we have is a mandate that says these parks being so important to our state's tourist industry, which 
does do a lot of the support of all of our jobs out here. Uh, because these things are so important, they have to remain open. But because they have to remain open doesn't necessarily mean the people that are tending them are going to get paid. And that has led to one interesting story last week. And, and Drew, this one is going to cut to the weirdest heart of any story ever. Are you ready for this? I'll bring it on. Okay. I oftentimes talk about how the state of Hawaii, which is kind of a quasi-state because there happens to be this whole <laughs> international thing going on of whether or not the United States annexed the Hawaiian nation in a proper way. Well, as such, laws and public lands work differently. And, uh, Drew, how familiar, how familiar are you with laws dictating abandoned lands by the United States government? Well, um, I can't really say I'm too familiar with it, but I'm going to wait for you to tell me. Well, here's the thing. <clears throat> when it comes to the state of Hawaii, what a lot of native indigenous Hawaiians, not people born in the state, the people that are actually ethnically the, you know, Hawaiians, um, this is the thing. They have started to go back to these parks and stuff and put down native symbols, therefore basically taking ownership of an abandoned government land. Now, we have a word called kapu, and there's all kinds of things. And once the kapu is put down, that means that the tribe, the actual indigenous Hawaiian people, have claimed sovereign use of that land. Now, <clears throat> I am sure... When it comes to the United States and dealing with First Nations people, that not a lot of consideration has been given around this whole shutdown. But as a lot of these national reserves are former indigenous lands, Drew, the problem that happens here in Hawaii with, you know, who actually owns it when the government abandons it could be a problem kind of everywhere, couldn't it? Oh, there's no question. You know, this is an area that, Look, we need leadership on this, and the president can't be just, you know, and no one in the federal government can really just say, look, we're just going to abandon this area and just leave it be. But with the government shutdown being what it is, that's kind of where we are. And he's, you know, I don't know what's going to happen here. I mean, you know, both sides of, of this entire shutdown have really said, you know, we're sticking to our thing. You know, we have new house leadership that's trying to fund the government to a, you know, passing a whole several parts of bills. And so, you know, this is, you know, one side's trying, the other side's saying, doesn't matter what you do, it's just going to not be what I want. So just don't just forget about it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this is where we are. You know, uh, these, these furloughed workers, uh, our national parks, all of these things that we would depend on. And, uh, you know, we're really going to feel the effects of this if this continues to linger. I mean, the longest shutdown ever was in 1995 during the Clinton administration, mm -hmm. which that led to his own problems, as you know, as we found out a, a few years later. But, you know, look, um, that ended within a month, you know, give or take. And so if the president's saying this could take way longer, you know, that that should be a real big scare and a big concern to not just federal workers, but to everybody in the country. Yeah, because this is the thing. He said years. And yeah. 
when it comes to keeping things shut down for years, he's doing it all over this border wall, and that's where I kind of want to segue from federal stories and history into state stories because the the, the state that, that Donald Trump talks about more than any state in the United States is Texas. He never calls it by Texas. He never names it by names. It's kind of like a Playboy model that he slept with. It, <laughs> you know? But the thing is, is that Donald Trump constantly talks about a southern border wall. And before we get to that, and, and the whole government shutdown, a lot of people forget that, that, that inside of Texas, because we've talked about Texas for two years now, never mentioning it, but coming up this week in Texas is something that didn't happen last year that only happens every other year, and that could kind of put a weird local spin on some national stories. Uh, Drew, what's happening deep in the heart of Texas this week? Yes, uh, while the stars are bright and big and bright and all that, uh, you know, we're going to have the um, opening gavel, the opening part of the 86th regular session take place this week. Uh, Texas is unique. There's not other states. Well, not, I think Montana might do this too, where the legislature will meet what's called biannually, once every two years. This is the sixth constitution. Now, you may say, where in the world? And I don't want to you know, bore our, our, our listeners on this too much, so we won't get too deep into it. Yeah. But we've had six constitutions as either a country or a state. And the Constitution of 1876 is what we are currently under here. And um, what this calls for is a weakening of really the central powers of Texas and that the legislature will meet once every two years. So the idea is you have the election and then a, a couple months later you'll have the session take place. The session will last 140 days. So it will go from early January to around Memorial Day. Now, they only work four days a week, Monday through Thursday. So 140 days during that time. I know. Yeah, yeah, there's that. So uh, <laughs> You guys are more laid back than Hawaii, by the way. I mean, when surf goes up here, all the shops shut down. It's like, oh, surf, sorry, bro, close for lunch. Yeah, lunch yeah, lasts four was... hours. <laughs> That's a heck of a lunch break. Yeah, well, <laughs> you got to get in the waves, then you got to get out, then you got to dry, then you got to tan a little bit, then you got to make sure that you don't look all, you know, smelly and stuff. Then you sure. go back to work. Then you see the customer standing outside, and then you're like, nah, the beach was better. So you go back out. About an hour later, you come back in and, and open up before the boss comes by to get your end-of-the-day reports. Okay. Yeah. They, what, a, what, what a life in Hawaii. I mean, that was, that's just awesome. Yeah. By the way, <laughs> it's not really like that, and there's a lot of shop owners in Hawaii going, I wish, brah. <laughs> <laughs> Who is this? Who is this, Howley? Uh, anyway... <laughs> But the, the, the thing is, is that we have a legislator that meets every single year. So this was kind of like one of those, wow, you guys don't have a working government every other year, huh? Yeah, yeah. It, it's just, you know, it's just a, you know, what the state is used to. Uh, this is what they, uh, what all the Texans have been used to for that time. Uh, it's been a very much a you know, leave me alone type of governing style. And if you want to meet every year, it's kind of like, 
what other kind of bad things can you do? And if you look at the past few legislative sessions, you know, in 2017, 2015, 2013, you kind of get the idea. Maybe it's a good thing they only meet once every two years because, you know, some of the stuff that they pass is kind of, you know, you know, odd. Yeah. So, <laughs> so with this new uh, session upcoming, you know, there are going to there's going to be one different player in all of this, and that's going to be the Speaker of the House. Um, you know, the Lieutenant Governor won his reelection. The Governor won his reelection, and and so and and you know, the same party that was in power in the last session will return in in this session. But you know, a different Speaker could be you know bring in different priorities. Um, and so we'll just see how, how how that plays out. But I don't really see this being, you know, people are people are having a, a bit of a hopeful spring for this particular session. And, and it might be different than the last one. I'm, I'm having a tough time really seeing that. So. Yeah. But here's the thing, because uh, there's there's two particular acts that I want to uh, talk a little bit coming up in the Texas legislature. Uh, one is what I would like to consider the most annoying thing about Texas, and no, I am not talking about the Dallas Cowboys. No. <laughs> this is the thing. Okay, look. <clears throat> Us and our people that work in Arizona, we're always kind of on the same page with each other because those two states right now don't have this annoying, anachronistic throwback to the pre-industrial age and the thinkings of one Benjamin Franklin and daylight savings time, you guys in Texas, in your legislature, actually have a bill coming up that could eradicate daylight savings time. Uh, thank you? And yeah. why? Yeah, I, look, there's a lot of bills that will get introduced that kind of make you scratch your head and go, what's the cause of this? Because the whole idea of the legislature and even government is to solve problems. Um, you're going to have to tell me what the problem is. And I know it's a pain in the you know, rear for people who are <laughs> who don't recognize. Big like, rear, big like, pain. <laughs> Twice a year. <laughs> but uh, you, you kind of have to understand that, that you know, what, what's, what's really the main problem here. Um, do understand that, you know, since Texas is so large, uh, it's, it's incredibly diverse. And, there, and there's another part of the state that actually is in a different time zone. So if you are in El Paso, you're actually underneath New Mexico and you're in Mountain West time zone, you're in Mountain time zone, which is different than if you're not in El Paso in Texas, then you're in Central time zone. Um, I, look, you kind of have to wonder here, you know, what's, you know, what's the problem? Um, that's what they're gonna have to really argue about. I don't know how much of a priority this is going to be for this uh, upcoming session. Could be something that people could kind of maybe slide into another particular part of a bill. Mm -hmm. That happens quite a bit. Uh, but we'll we'll see what happens. I mean, the ongoing argument about daylight savings that those who are at who are just adamant about it will say that this is a school safety issue. That that uh, during the times that it's that daylight savings is out early in the mornings. It's very dark and could be very difficult for, uh, you know, drivers uh, to to not see these children or any other or, any, or anyone else and could possibly blow through stop sign or, or hit one of the children. So if you keep the daylight savings going, then it will be uh, daylight during the 730, 8, 8 o'clock hour. 
and then you won't you, you would avoid this type of thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, look, I mean, I'm just uh, going to throw this out here, though. Yeah. It seems a little weird and counterproductive that we're worried about getting kids into school when that's where they get shot. Yeah, yeah. Just throwing that's that a, out there, maybe. That's a very good point. Yeah. Yeah. A car yeah. wind them in the morning. They're like, you know what? I've tried my chances for the day. I'm going home. Maybe. I don't know. I might have to do with a little bit of my view of Texas frontiersmanship, though. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, that's you know that's a very interesting point. But you know, w when you look at daylight savings and how it's working out, I mean, the state is on daylight savings more so than it's not. Hmm. I mean, I mean, we're on it from from uh, you know uh, from March all the way up until it seems like till November. And then we're off of it from no from mid November until March. So it's you know you kind of have to wonder here. Okay, well you know why not just be on it the entire time or well quite frankly or or get rid of it. So I don't I don't know what's going to happen here. This is that's just kind of where we are. I, it really made me scratch my head and go, why is this up here? It, like I I consider just as as trivial as the controversial bathroom bill that 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 came out in the last mm -hmm. session even in a special session dealing with trees. I mean, there was a bill dealing with trees in, in Austin, Texas. It was one of the most head-scratching things. You kind of go, what's the problem? Okay, two things. One, are you sure of the definition of tree? Because, two, this is Austin we're talking about. Oh, yeah. Just going to throw yes. those out. Uh, well, yeah, there, uh, there was some, just a quick Reader's Digest, there was this ongoing issue with trees that have been around for a long time, and the city wanted to do something with them. So the state overstepped the city and said, you can or can't. It was one of these little tit for tat, silly things that just simply didn't make any sense to me. Didn't make sense to a whole lot of other people. And people were just wondering why was that even a thing? Same thing can be said about this daylight savings time issue. Yeah. Uh, that was uh, representative Lyle Larson. He's out of San Antonio, by the way. So thank you, San Antonio. Uh, House Bill 49 is going to be that one. Uh, now, this is, this, this is uh, uh, before I get to the bill that uh, I thought would be kind of fun, uh, because it was proposed by, of all people, Joe Moody from El Paso. Hmm. El yep. Paso. Okay. Uh, we've talked about El Paso on the show before, being one of the deeply more conservative parts of the state. But, oh, no, no. I'm it's actually one of the more liberal areas. Oh, liberal. Oh, okay, because this is the thing. Um, I was kind of confused because before there is the the law that is kind of a common sense law, um, I did not know this, but Moody wants to repeal part of the Texas Penal Code that lists homosexual conduct as a crime. And even though the United States Supreme Court said that that law is you know, unconstitutional, it's still been on the books of Texas, and now Moody is out to, to, to get rid of it. Is there a lot of the legislators, because you guys only do the biannual thing, that, that is going back and saying, well, that was a dumb idea. We need to repeal that one first. Yep. Oh, yeah. Uh, you, you often find that, I mean, believe it or not, you find this type of thing normal with, with old state laws. Uh, you I mean there are so many old laws that are on the books that are just been that, that are unenforceable anymore. It's just kind of like, well, we have to rather just ignore that. That particular one, um, you know, uh, definitely being up there. I mean, you know, yeah, I think it was Mississippi ratified the 13th Amendment in 1995. So, uh, <laughs> you know, that was on the back burner for a long time. 
But <laughs> yeah, I think Alabama just got rid of uh, what was it? Say uh, slavery. I don't know. There's a couple of states that still have slavery. I think. Oh, technically. <laughs> it's so weird. I mean, you find a lot of these older laws, and you go, you know, why is that still on the books? We we need to get rid of that. And I think that's exactly what happened here with Representative Moody. Yeah, because, look, uh, this is the thing. I mean, I, I could also talk about you know House Bill 222 by Matt Krause, who is basically trying to get rid of paid sick leave, corporate sick leave. He's, he's basically saying, look, by law, you don't have to offer anybody nothing. This is Texas. Do how? Uh, yeah. But instead <laughs> of talking about that, this is the thing. Uh, House Bill 84, which... And, and this is the thing I noticed about Texas, and, and I think we've only got 30 seconds for you to answer this, but uh, actually about a minute here. But when it comes to Texas, the filing for laws is usually like um, Ticketmaster when a big big act comes into town, isn't it? They they line That's up exactly for days right. ahead of the session. Absolutely. They're, they It was like a, a week after the election. Boom, you started seeing a lot of the representatives filing a lot of their bills that they really wanted uh, uh, to get in there. That's that's that that's commonplace. And they're going to try to you know, uh, bargain as much as they can up until this week. Yeah, I mean, because look, let's, let's just go ahead and put this in, in the words of the Texas Tribune, uh, quote, <laughs> Senator Judith Zephyr, Zephyrini, I think I'm saying that right who is known to have her staff line up outside the clerk's office hours before the pre-filing starts. Uh, yeah, it, it, it appears that there is a little bit of a rush to get in law. I mean, do you guys just love democracy there or what? Well, we elect everybody in the state, at least it seems that way. Uh, you know, we have partisan races for almost everything, from county sheriff to Supreme Court justices to uh, even, uh, you know, your justice of the peace. Which you kind of have to scratch your head and go, what's the, you know, partisanship of, you know, justice of the peace? Is, is one person not going to, you know, give as many guilty verdicts as the next, or what's the deal with that? Uh, so it's my peaceful's weird. more peaceful than yours. Yeah, <laughs> I say, boy, boy. Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> yeah. Look, so that's kind of where we are on that. Coming up, we've got to talk about the bill that I have been kind of scratching my head over because it came from a place like Texas. Yeah, they're talking about decriminalizing marijuana in the Lone Star State. Up next, it's the Shaggy Jenkins Show. This is Scientific American's 60-Second Science. I'm Christopher Intagliata. When wildfires rip through a landscape, firefighters have the first and most immediate job. But then that burned moonscape often passes into the hands of restoration ecologists, who yank out invasive species and plant native seedlings in their place. And we try to artificially give a start to these communities that should resemble the communities that were there prior to the disturbance. Matteo Garbalato a plant pathologist at UC Berkeley. The problem, he says, is that microscopic killers sometimes hitchhike on native seedlings grown in nurseries. And that's happened at restoration sites in the San Francisco Bay Area, 
where restorers hoped that nursery-grown natives called toyones and sticky monkey flowers could be reintroduced. Plant ecologists were looking at them and thinking, oh, why are these toyons dying here? Or why are these sticky monkey flowers dying in large numbers in this restoration site? So it happens that each one of those plant species was reintroduced in a restoration effort, and it had one or sometimes multiple of these pathogens that belong to the genus Phytophthora, uh, which incidentally is the same genus of the pathogen that causes sudden death, and it's also the same genus of the pathogen that caused the, the Irish potato famine. Garbolato and his colleagues surveyed five native plant nurseries for the Phytophthora pathogen and found that more than a quarter of the plants sampled were infected. They also discovered in separate work that a common chemical used to suppress the pathogen in nurseries can actually breed resistance. The passage of these strains through these production facilities, sometimes it can make them more aggressive. They reported their work in the journals PLOS One and Plant Pathology. But there is a solution to root out these invisible killers. A year-long regimen of stricter sanitation at native plant nurseries, like pasteurizing pots and soil, appeared to eliminate the pathogen. And disease-free seedlings means damaged landscapes have a better chance at bouncing back. Thanks for listening. For Scientific American's 60 Second Science, I'm Christopher Intagliata. This is the Shaggy Jenkins Show on the Pacifica Radio Network. It's the Shaggy Jenkins Show on the Pacifica Radio Network. Welcome back to it. Yeah, we called Houston and Ground Control says everything is A-OK. We've been talking about the Texas legislator in the first part of the show. And if you missed that, well, you should probably subscribe to us on either Spotify or wherever fine social media is served at Shaggy Live. Uh, You can also, well, find us at our website, ShaggyJenkins.com. This guy you can find somewhere out in Texas kind of scratching his head over why I know so much about his legislator. It's because they printed out a whole list of the laws coming up. Please welcome from the great Lone Star State, former politician himself and all-around educated educator, Drew Landry. Okay. Good to be back, Shaggy. Thank you. Nah, you know, we have had like, I, I, I don't know how to say this, about 40 attempts today to do this show, and each one of them has been more catastrophically failing than the last. But... As far as things being ballyhooed and and known to fail, one of the things that we can talk about that has always been tossed up in the state legislator of Texas is marijuana law reformation. And it looks like, thanks to Senator Chong, no, Moody, Joe Moody, he was the same guy for the Homosexual Conduct Act of the first part of the show. Well, now he's back at it again. The Democrat from El Paso actually wants to put in Bill 63, House Bill 63, wants to put out there that, oh, and keep in mind, he's not the only one. Several state legislators have put forward marijuana acts, but his act is important because instead of just reforming the medical side of it, he also wants to make it a misdemeanor offense if somebody is caught for less than one ounce, taking it out of the criminal court systems and putting it more into a, here's your ticket, mail it in to us, good day. Is, is this kind of surprising from Texas? You know, um, what's very interesting about this is that, um, you know, t- 
you know, I, I, I say this a lot, is that Texas, uh, to much of people's surprise, is incredibly diverse and in that you have the pockets of Texas that are incredibly, incredibly uh, uh, liberal, such as you know, El Paso, Austin, uh, Dallas, and Houston. Those, those metroplexes, you know, even, even San Antonio, those are some pretty liberal areas. Those are, you know, they put forth some interesting progressive you know, ideas out there. Um, and you have your rural areas and your suburban areas that are much more conservative. So, you know, that's where the great mix is. And with what Representative Moody is wanting to put forward here is, I think, a movement that is trying to keep up with other states and uh, trying to, you know, say, look, you know, Texas has a wide variety of veterans, has a wide variety of people who are getting, uh, you know, put the hammer to on federal offenses and even jail time when it comes to having that particular amount of, of marijuana. Uh, let's say, you know, let's put those particular things to better use. Let's have them either fund public education or our, or our transportation issues. Let's, uh, let's get rid of this addiction that people have to op- opioids and to other prescription drugs. Let's fight this in the best common sense way by legalizing in some way, shape, or form, or decriminalizing in some way, shape, or form the use of marijuana. Yeah, because I didn't know this, uh, and this one is kind of an unattached bill to this, but in House Joint Resolution 24, this has been proposed by uh, Charlie Green out of Fort Worth. He's a conservative, but what he's saying under this uh, resolution is that the state of Texas should by law, be required to fund at least half of their public schools. Now, I was like, whoa, there's a privatization of public schools in Texas I wasn't aware of, apparently, huh? Yeah, well, one of the biggest issues that came out in of the last session and led to up uh, in the 2018 election was dealing with the funding for public ed. And there was a big fuss made about it and the fact that the funding formula, it has a lot to do with people's property taxes. And so there's this interesting, you know, very uh, um, teeter-totter relationship between public ed funding and people's property taxes. If your property taxes go up, that means public ed finance has gone down. And if your public ed from the state level goes up, your property taxes will go down. So... It's an it's a bit of a teeter totter relationship. It's confusing. It's not exactly the most exciting thing to really talk about. What Representative uh, Green is calling for here is that the state share be at least half of the budget. That and uh, that would greatly increase uh, the state share that that it it, it used to be at those levels uh, some age ago, but nowadays with the different type of of, uh, leadership that they have, they've gotten away from it. And then there's been some sort of a small movement from Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick to try to bring in school vouchers and give in a privatization and to bring in more money for charter schools. All of these things have been uh, tried and, and be brought in. And a lot of them have not been successful, but a new session, there's going to be new, new tries for this. And so what uh, Representative Green is doing here is saying, hey, look, because of the funding formula 
and because of people's ties to property taxes, if we can make at least half the state budget, that will lower people's property taxes. You know, and, and this is it's kind of an interesting thing, because in states like Colorado, who did tie in their marijuana industry taxing into their education, it would seem like kind of a slam dunk for, and I know this is going to seem weird to you, but this is how most negotiations take place <clears throat> in that world, or in this case, We'll call it El Paso. Um, Moody kind of needs to take green behind the woodshed and say, hey, man, try this. How would you like it if that paid for education? And then, like, 15 minutes later, after they discuss the political ramifications of Wookiee civilization within Star Wars' expanded universe, not the original universe, the expanded universe, then it does seem like this House resolution to make the state pay for public schools and this push for reforming marijuana laws, especially in a place like Texas, which is starting to find itself surrounded by other states doing these kind of acts and using the tax benefit for their education system. Is, is there a chance, and I'm, I'm fingers crossed here, just like back in the 1980s when you got some chocolate in my peanut butter and I got some peanut butter in your chocolate, is there any two chances of these two worlds in Texas ever colliding? Yes, there is a chance. How highly is it that, it, and pun, I wasn't intended on that, but how uh, uh, great will this hey, be? Hey, man, that was pretty funny there, the joke <laughs> with the hi, man. Go on. How great will that be in this session? I, I don't know. Uh, but I can see this happening in the next maybe two or three sessions down the road where we will uh, institute some sort of aspect where they'll bring in the fines for um you know, for the marijuana usage of that and either go into teacher pay, either go into the classroom, whatever the case may be, going into some aspect of of public school finance. We did that with the lottery. Texas instituted the Texas lottery in the early 1990s. And the idea was that 100% of it would go to public education. Well, that hasn't been the case. And I think that's what some people's fears are, is that, uh, well, if we tie in weed to it, how much are, are we certain it'll be every single dime or will other particular groups want to get money for it? I mean, they'll have to be kind of crafty in how they're going to do this. And there are some lawmakers who have been there for some time who are crafty and can figure out a, a, a nifty compromise to some particular ways as to how that will work. But, um, you know, there's other particular you know, monetary ways that that the state is using, but the property tax thing is what really get people upset because they're not adding any more things to their house, and yet they're finding that their added value has gone up, and they're kind of wondering, how is that possible? Mm. And what you tell them is, well, the state share of public education has gone down, therefore your property tax has gone up, and that really gets people upset. I hate to say this, but whoever came up with that kind of a measure in Texas surely was high. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and it's surely dead, too. But that's a whole other thing. <laughs> yeah. But uh, this is the thing that that kind of gets me because, you know, I have always, 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 when it comes to thinking about marijuana laws across the United States, one, here in Hawaii, we were uh, enacting medical marijuana laws back in 1996. You're welcome, America. You're really welcome. But besides giving the world Maui Wowie, we also kind of gave other governments a working model of how to think about marijuana reformation. And Texas typically 
in the lead up to Colorado's vote, in the lead up to California's vote, in the lead up to Washington's vote, Washington D.C.'s vote, Maine's vote. Every single time a state approached reforming marijuana laws, Texas kind of always reacted with, not in my backyard, you killer weed. And you'd hear the shotguns and somewhere in the distance, a cow mooing. But um, you didn't really hear a lot of progressive thoughts about marijuana. And, and that's one of the things that was interesting because, like I said, if it had just been Moody, Okay, if it had just been Joe Moody out of El Paso, that wouldn't have been a big shock because he's done a couple of common sense kind of uh, let's adjust the laws for the sensitivity of modern times. Now, he's done that, but at the same time, Moody comes forward with this act and says, yeah, you know, let's pull this back. And he's not the only one. Is it odd to you that Texas is as, as forward-thinking? Okay, well, let's, you're about 25 years off the rest of the country. Hi, we're the rest of the country here in Hawaii. But uh, is, it, is it shocking to you, this turn from the legislators of the past to where we are now? I, I don't think it's, it's too shocking when it comes to this particular issue. Um, because what we're finding here is that you know uh, there's other states that have done this, and they're making some money off of it. And they're helping out with uh, their their debt and helping to fund other particular projects and other and other uh, departments and programs. This is a great uh, step forward. Um, usually, the you know the ongoing stereotype of Texas is you know we're you know backwards and it doesn't really do a whole lot and and just rather reactive as opposed to being proactive. Yeah, uh, Texas, at least from Hawaii's standpoint, Texas it's a good place to be incarcerated or get stabbed. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, but there are many elected officials who are doing what they can to try to reverse that particular stereotype. The ongoing idea is within the uh, cities and and uh, the ongoing uh, lucrative business climate that they're having. I mean, we you know there's Super Bowls that are coming here that are uh, that have been here. Uh, there's you know the you know, the uh, space stations that are here. There's uh, a big technological boom that's taking place here. So. Yeah, you know, these are types of things that are drawing people to either relocate or even to visit Texas. Let's not forget that, that if you like you know, pulled pork and any type of uh, barbecue, uh, Texas is, is rivals a lot of states on this particular <clears> thing. <throat> if you ask a native Texan, where's the best barbecue? They'll probably point to the, you know, the joint just right around the corner because it probably does. Now, I know you might have something to say about that. Well, I was just going to throw this out here, that Texas is famous for brisket or beef-based barbecue. Hi, us in North Carolina, we're the ones that gave the nation the pulled pork barbecue, and oh, by the way, we took it from West African slaves. Well, okay, well, way to put a whole buzz kill on that. Thanks a lot. But... Truth hurts a lot, you know. But, yeah, but, yeah, and go ahead and ask where that brisket came from. Yeah, I won't. Yeah, he but. speaks Spanish. <laughs> so, yeah, it's a bit of an interesting thing here because, you know, look, uh, there, you know, we have a lot of um, uh, attractions in, in Texas. And so this is the ongoing movement to try to get rid of this, you know, backwoods, reactive type of mentality that a lot of the state feels like. And the best way to, to do that is exactly to do what, what Representative Moody is doing, 
have this this proactive approach to things that can help veterans who have who have a, a traumatic brain injury or any kind of mental health problem. Uh, those with PTSD and those who are suffering from this ongoing opioid crisis and and mm-hmm. and, and and try to do something different here. Um, this is where we are, and we're following the lead of other states and, uh, and trying to help out um, more particular programs from this type of, of uh, tax and this type of finance. You know, the interesting thing about this whole story is, and <clears throat> I'm just going to throw that out there because, you know, as much as I joke about Texas not being really a, a liberal or progressive place, let's keep in mind that one of the most liberal organizations that you have in Texas is the Dallas Cowgirls. Yeah. Before everybody laughs and goes, oh, God, Shaggy, here you are being a misogynistic pig. No, the Dallas Cowgirls were actually a very pro-feminist group back at their foundation. And as such, those performances, those outfits and everything were actually women being empowered, saying, look, here in Texas, nobody takes our guns or our tatas. Here they are, boys. <laughs> I, I was absolutely fascinated by the early history of the Dallas Cowgirls. And then when you see things like, you know, anything coming out of Austin and some of the stuff that's coming up in the new legislator, Texas is kind of a weird mix of old and new thinking, isn't it? It absolutely is. That's one of the best ways to to describe the state because you have those who um, who don't like any kind of change and they want to keep it that way. Then you have those who say we have to move forward. Um, you know, Dallas. You know, the Dallas Cowgirls. Those you know, they you know they were the first cheerleading squad of any NFL team, and then and so this was you know really was a big stir shaking moment there. Mm-hmm. So we always have to remember that. Uh, so yeah, I mean, the, you, know, you don't often think that Texas has been uh, the most progressive place, but remember here, uh, Texas was one of the few states that ratified the, that actually gave the women uh, the right to vote before the Nineteenth Amendment was ratified. I mean, they w- women got the right to vote in 1918, mm-hmm. which is two years before the Nineteenth Amendment was was ratified. Actually, passed the Equal Rights Amendment in 19. Uh, in in the 1970s, so you wouldn't often think of that, and so it's it's a bit of an interesting uh, history that you look at this and go, it's been this progressive, this conservative, like what the heck, what's the schizophrenia going on here? So yeah, it's kind of fun. You know, the thing is, is I mean, besides being schizophrenic, and kind of the the legislator, uh, what is a legislative stage? Uh, Texas is also kind of top of mind in the nation, because here's the thing. I mentioned this during the first part of the show. Look, a lot of the federal stuff that's happening could kind of run right into the head of what's happening at the state in Texas, because it all has to do with the same area. You, meaning you, the United States, that is not Texas, keep hearing something about a southern border wall, but which state, and I'm going to go to Drew for this one because I'm pretty sure he knows, which state in the United States actually has the lion's share of that border? That would be Texas, yes. And there's an interesting question as to how this is going to work because the terrain just, it, 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 it's just odd. I mean, I don't, I mean, you, he, you often hear about, well, it has to be along the southern border. Well, 
okay, well, that's a whole other conversation in and of itself. But the but the next step in this is where and what parts, because there are ranchers, there are farmers that have property that will go all along this. And so you have to wonder, is the federal government just going to come in and invoke eminent domain, which is a very you know term here that states that the government can come in and take your property, pay you for it, and then they'll take it. Um, is that what they're going to do with a lot of farmers and ranchers in a state that says, I don't like government takeovers? Um, I, this is going to be not the easiest situation for the federal government to try to I- implement this. And when you look at the terrain of this, you know, the makeup of, of, of the land, where's it going to go? You know, there's a lot of plateaus. There's a, a lot of rocky areas. There's a lot of mountainous areas along that border. You have to wonder here, um, you know, how 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 is it going to make it work? Uh, and no one really has that answer. Well, you know, I mean, because in <clears throat> in statistics that would make Sam Houston come back from the grave and go, what the hell are y'all talking about? Um, this week, when it came to the figures of all of the crime pouring into this country through that southern unwalled border, wouldn't that mean that uh, I, I hate to say this, but Drew, from what the president has been telling the rest of the nation, Texas is basically a half season off from the purge. Is that an accurate depiction of what safety is like in your state? No, uh, you know, it, it's it, that's an interesting description. Um, but when it comes to um, p- particular aspects about safety. You have those uh, leaders who say, uh, look, the only best safety is for you to be armed. And uh, Texas is what's called a license to carry state. They have what's called open carry. Believe it or not, Texas actually has some interesting gun laws where if you want to openly carry, you have to have a license. You have to go through a, a class that is both textbook and range uh, ways of doing it. Now, that class is only to protect the individual. It's not to. It's not for the individual to become suddenly RoboCop. No. And uh, so that's one misnomer a, a, about that. But what the president says about statistics is a great messaging thing that he and other Republicans have been able to do for years and years, and that's to repeat the same thing over and over and over again. The idea is that if you repeat the same thing every time that this comes up, that you will then essentially make people believe what you're saying. So you just keep saying it, keep saying that 4,000 people a day, 4,000 people a day, 4,000 people a day, along that border wall, 4,000 people a day. You just keep saying it, people go, oh, well, it has, has to be that way. Yeah. Um, that's, and we're finding that, well, one, that's not even remotely true, and two, it's not at the southern border, it's at other areas, and it's not just by land, by sea, or, or anything, it's mainly at airports. So, Bingo! Uh, yeah. yeah. And so, yeah. And uh, this administration is 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 very good at stating the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. Yeah. But I mean, come on. They were in trouble last week for trying to give all these members a raise during a shutdown that got squashed. And then yep. when they were trying to defend all the reasons that they were keeping the government shut down, they gave all those numbers that you were talking about. Kristen Nielsen from the Department of Homeland Security. Sarah Huckabee Sanders did it yesterday on a Fox News program. And the Fox News program host said, hold up, those numbers don't act. <laughs> those, those numbers don't jail right. But yeah. th- this is the thing. 
when he talks about all these people coming in, I'm like, I actually know a guy in Texas. So <laughs> let me ask you, because when it comes to immigration, your state is kind of, unlike most states in the United States, kind of had more of a friendly, devil-may-care attitude with people coming back and forth from Mexico, haven't you? Yeah, it, you know, look, um, there, there's there been a time where we've said, you know, get them out. There's been times when we said, well, no, we need them. Mm -hmm. I mean, Texas is heavily agricultural de dependent. Um, and, uh, you know, this is you know the, the top producer of cotton in the United States. Uh, and so we have a what's called a cotton patch in the western part of, 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 of the state. And the top people who are going to go in and collect the cotton are not going to be the, the everyday farmer. Uh, they'll have particular immigrants who will be there mm -hmm. to do that sort of thing and to do all the other jobs that, that, that people don't want to do. Um, so the ongoing stereotype about the immigrant is that they're here and they're going to um, you know, steal everything. They're going to kill you. They're going to rape the women, maybe even rape the men. I mean, they are just just these terrible, awful people. And the president, again, was good at making people think that. And so was everybody on his side of the aisle when it came to the to the um, immediate outlets. Very good. And then suddenly you saw this caravan come out of nowhere. Uh, and then suddenly after the election, we don't really hear much about a caravan anymore. Oddly enough. So anyway, uh, but Texas and other southern states are very dependent upon immigrant work, and that's just kind of where they are. Um, we, you know, the world needs cotton. The United States needs cotton, needs oil for well for most parts of it, and needs you know uh, corn and soybeans and other types of things that help us either produce food and the fiber mm -hmm. and the fuel that make up this entire country. You Texas know, is a big producer in that. I, I got I to gotta bring this up real quick because you, when sure. we talk about big, big producers, Texas, since the 1900s, and this is kind of interesting, back in 1919, you guys wanted to get rid of the Mexicans, and guess what law you passed for the very first time? A marijuana prohibition. <laughs> So, yeah, that, that sounds very 100 years ago. Yeah, yeah. Texas a long time ago was like, hey, how do we get rid of the Mexicans? Do they smoke reefer? Yeah, make the reefer illegal. And that's exactly how the United States got down that path to begin with. And it was, of course, reiterated again in 1924 and such. But this is the weird thing. When they went for, oh, the Mexicans, and they were like, get these dirty Mexicans out here, not like, Three years later, they were back at the border going, hey, Mexicans, could you please come back? <laughs> we yeah. need help. And then exactly. all through during uh, World War II, we had a very expansive immigrant work program in Texas from Mexico. So why is it? And I mean, we've only got like a minute or so left in the show here. But Drew, why is it that everybody wants to have an opinion about immigration but when it comes to the actual state where this weird immigration is happening, you guys are like, eh, nothing's bad here. Nothing's, nothing's out of the normal. Well, it all comes down to two words, elections and fear. 
And if you can make someone fearful of someone else, that they're going to take what you have away from you, um, you need someone to blame that on. Mm. And so there's a clear messaging here that the that the immigrant is going to just simply rape, kill, and steal everything that you have. Oh. And, and, and that's, that's, I mean, if you listen to the president's rhetoric on why we need a southern border wall, that's what he says. Yeah. Uh, let alone the fact that, that there are, are border patrol agents who will tell you, no, we don't need a wall. That's not what's necessary here. We have to actually help the economies of Mexico and Central America. That It's not so much of an enforcement issue as it is an economic issue. You have to understand why they're coming to this area. And they're coming here for jobs. And when our economy is better than other places, especially southern border areas, uh, that's why. I mean, why do why are we not seeing a great influx of people from the northern part of the of, of the country? Uh, you know, that's what you always have to understand here. I mean, other than hockey and you know what has really Canada given us that we really love. And don't say Justin Bieber because I might just not come back. Well, okay, okay, but they, they did give us SCTV with John Candy, Rick Moranis, and all those people. So totally. there's that. Absolutely. Okay. Drew, we have got to go. Everybody, until the next show, try to stay safe. Check out the website, shakyjinkins.com. Till next time, love you, mean it. Gate in, bye. See ya.